Hello and welcome back to the No Limits Podcast with Rick. Hope you've been having a great day so far. Joined once again by No Limits coach Anthony Satoma. And today we're going to be covering a bit of a random Q&A. We went through some of the questions before we started and there's going to be some fitness, mindset, nutrition, and then some real esoteric weird ones which will be fun to cover. So uh, Anthony, how are you going my man? Yeah, very well, thank you my man. How are you? I'm very excited to get into these. I reckon there's a few here that will have a good little laugh at it for sure. I'm sure. And I'm sure you've got probably more interesting ones than me. <laughs> maybe so, maybe my followers are just a little bit a little bit more off the chains. Yeah. And we've put up a if anyone's put up like an anonymous link on Instagram, like for the like if you're doing like questions on Instagram, please confirm if you get really random questions because me and Anthony both got some questions that we were just like I'm not even, I've probably got about 10 that I'm not putting up because they just make no sense. I reckon they're bots. They, they have I to be bots, man. They're bots for sure. <laughs> um, so what we'll do, we'll go one for one with the questions and then if we get to the end and there's nothing, we've still got some time remaining, we'll just go off some you know, topics I think would be good to cover. Yeah, he's so, busy. We'll crack on, my man. So what's your first question? All right, first question here. <clears throat> From Jordan Nizar, who do you think has the best back that you know personally? That I know personally? Yeah. I feel like Nids has asked that because he just has an insane back. <laughs> so you're going to have to pick him up. <laughs> Nidzar, you absolutely have an amazing back. So uh, <laughs> if you were to look at Jay Nids Grind and Shine on Instagram, his back is absolutely elite. But who has the best back? that I know of. Man, that's a tough one. It's a bit of a tough one because then you're just thinking, who do I know? And then off the top of your head, like without photos and references, maybe it was a bad question to start off with. You know what? We'll just lock in. Jordan, Jordan you're going to take the crown for this one. I'm going to say it's you a, as well. You've got the best back in the world, bro. <laughs> 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 All right. So do you want to go one for one? Yeah, we'll go one for one. Uh, so, easy. question from Reese Wilder: Who is your biggest idol? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, gym related, or do you reckon not gym related? We'll go both. All right, gym related. I would say, I would say Ian Valier would probably be my idol. Gym related. Um, I think physique speaks for itself. I think he's very open minded with his training. He's very regimented and methodical about the things that he does he's like real balls to wall with his training like he just doesn't give a fuck he was doing he was doing like six plates of side rdls like five days out from show like he just doesn't care (laughs) i would say i would say him in the gym and out of the gym um mate probably jordan peterson to be honest no surprise there there. what about you man it's such a it's a cop out of an answer but I don't really have idols. Like, I feel like there's lessons that we can learn from every single person. Like, of course, definitely mum and dad play a huge role. Um, yep. Not even anything that they particularly like have said or, or just the way they go about things, just watching them. I'm very observant. Uh, if you notice me in a social setting, I'm quite quiet, but I tend to observe a lot and learn a lot from people. And even like before, man, like when I went to go get my uh, salty coffee, there was a guy at 7-Eleven, Dane, and he looked like he had 
like a um, he may have had like a stroke or something and then like one of his arms had like completely just like regressed to like a child's arm and he was just happy as Larry man like he just was yeah. speaking to me about coffee and like how good coffee is and um, how much he loves Thailand and just little things like that I find massive but if I was to give like the gym one I would have to say my coach Joe. Yeah. And it's not That's for his points there of those listening. An amazing physique, but his his knowledge and just the way he carries himself. But I think like lessons to be learned from everyone. And maybe yeah, I can take that. me being a bit resistant to um, <laughs> You just don't want to idolize anyone, huh? Yeah, because like back in the day, like I used to like really obsess over certain people, like Ziz, for example. Like, oh, I just want to look like Ziz or I just want to look like Greg Plitt. And that would just burn me out because I'd always just be trying to like look at what they're doing and try to copy what they're doing. But I think um, it's great to have idols. And I, I just personally don't have one um, that I look up to. Long-winded answer, a bit of a cop-out. But, yeah. <laughs> people you look up to. No, it's, it's, it's a, it definitely makes sense. It's, it's, um, it's like if you idolize one person too much, you can almost lose your own character in a way. Like you're supposed to live your own, your own storyline, you know? Maybe your storyline wasn't supposed to be idolizing this character. And if you do it too much, who knows? Maybe it's just not your character. Exactly. You're doing an injustice. You'd, do, you'd be doing an injustice to who you're truly supposed to be if you idolize one person to the extent of like making them your everything, you know? So yeah, now your answer definitely makes sense. It's hard work too. Like if you idolize someone and especially like you mentioned, if you're trying to mimic them, um, that's not a fun way to live. I do see a lot of coaches do that when they first come into the industry and I'm no different. Like when I first came into the industry, like I idolized like Lane Norton and then I would make my posts literally based exactly on what was Lane Norton's uh, membership site. And yeah, yeah. type like I was Lane Norton, but I'm not fucking Lane Norton. So <laughs> that's probably one good thing for coaches too. Like speak as you would speak, like when you write out your content or when you're posting on your stories, make it look like it's actually you and actually just speak right as you would speak. Um, I think that's a, a good way to go about things. And then it's easy no, I like to just that. be yourself. And, you know, people invest into people. They don't invest into, you know, pretending to be someone you're not. No, I like that. That's I, There was a quote that I saw the other day and I, and I put it on my story. It was like, um, you're you're worried about what other people think about you while they're intimidated by your potential. Yeah, I like that. This that is very empowering. And I like that stuff too. <laughs> it's so true because that's like something I say, like if, if I like ask a client, like, oh, can you send over it? Like they might message me, hey, um, I don't really feel my chest with the dumbbell press, for example. And I'll be like, hey, like, if it's okay, um, I can give you some tips, but ideally like send over a video and I'll be able to provide some feedback there. And then they might say, like, oh, I don't know about recording myself. It's just like, man, no one really cares. Like, yeah, everyone's no. too worried about what everyone else is thinking about them in the gym. And all you're doing is looking over your technique to make sure you're doing something properly. Um, that's a huge one. I think, like, so many limiting factors come from worrying about what other people are thinking. And yeah, or overestimating, or overestimating the, the threat that you'll feel in a situation like that. Like, you might feel embarrassed and you'll probably remember it for the rest of your life. Like, if you were to look back and think, when was your most embarrassing moment? And you can probably refer back to something when you were like in high school, but the chances of anyone else in high school remembering that moment to the extent you did, very minimal, you know? Absolutely, that's so true. <laughs> All right, next um, 
I got a, I got a good one here. How do I always be present in the moment and not stuck in the past or thinking about the future? Deep. No, it's a bit of, it's a deep this one. Deep. Um, so what I like to do is try to avoid going from task to task to task to task to task without a moment of stillness and presence. So for example, like if I like just go for my walk and then I, in the morning, then I come straight home and then I just straight away make a coffee, straight away get into work and don't have like a moment of stillness. It can be very easy to just be like in my head all over the place. Mm. Um, meditation is the obvious suggestion here because it's essentially literally practicing that. You're literally practicing being present in the moment. But even if it means like just focusing on your breath every now and again, and then you might find that your, your mind goes all over the place. You think about what you did, you know, when you were 16 years old, or you think about how come I'm not where I want to be in the future, but I'm, I'm not there yet. And I think focusing on your breath, being present, journaling, like writing notes down, makes things real. Um, and yeah, it's tough. I think it's, it's human nature. It's like one of our benefits that we can use the past to our advantage and we can, you know, f- anticipate the future. But if we're never in the present, like that's all we have. I very much agree. I was going to say for this one, I had a little bit of a think about it because one of the first questions I got and I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's a really good question. I thought, all right, how am I going to answer this? Think of what, what it is you're actually doing and think if I'm constantly thinking about the past, I'm sacrificing my brain power in the present. So by living in the past or living in the future, you're dying in the present. And the present, like you said, is all you have. So you can do that. If that's what you want to do, you can do that. Like we can say strategies to not do that, but just think about the ripple effect you're having. You are, you're not living now and you're living in the past. And then tomorrow or the next day when you realize, oh, where did that time go? Where did the week go? Where was the last six months gone? I was just harping over the past, so on, so on, so on. And I think a lot of this time when people are thinking about the past is probably maybe a negative emotion over positive emotion, And just think it's gone now. You can't do anything about it. If you can take a lesson from it, take a lesson from it. But the minute you realize it's unchangeable, like you you literally can't change it, maybe that then gives you the power to let it go. You know what I mean? So maybe understanding why, what it is about the past you're thinking about, understand maybe is there a lesson that you need to take from this? Maybe that's why it's still in your mind. Maybe you haven't taken what you need to take from it. Um, but in terms of the future, I think thinking about the future, can be very beneficial, um, like simulating versions of yourself doing things in the future, whether it's like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, to do this, for example, I'm going to go to the gym, going to do this, go to that. That's good. But, um, harping on about it until a point it gives you crippling anxiety. I don't think he's very, um, productive at all. And I think maybe, maybe realizing, um, that if you worry about something in the future, you're kind of, and something does happen, like if you're worrying about something bad happening and you're worrying about it and then it does happen, it's kind of like you're, you're experiencing that negative emotion twice when it happens and then worrying about it before it happens. So it's kind of like you're doing yourself a double dirty there, you know? Huge. So that is so true. I agree with all that 100%. And what came to mind is whoever asked this question or if anyone else struggles with this, Joe Dispenza. So I think it's D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A. His work on this is amazing. He talks about that where like, if you constantly think about the past and it's like a negative situation, you're bringing that into the present and then you're reliving that. And oftentimes like we over, like we 
exacerbate the negative in the past and maybe make it seem like it was even worse than it actually was in the time in the process. Yes. So like you said, it's like putting the brake and the accelerator on at the same time, worrying. You about always suffer more. Yeah. Past. You always suffer more in your imagination than you do in reality. That's a big one as well. Fact. Fact. <laughs> All right. So we've got another one here. So how to break through plateaus. So we could maybe go from this from a lens of maybe um, break through fat loss plateaus and then we can go through like muscle building plateaus. So if we were to go over like how you would suggest breaking through a fat loss plateau, what would your suggestion be? Um, I would say either a diet break. Um, a lot of the times if you give it a fat loss plateau, it's not necessarily that you're not losing fat or you're not doing the right things. It could be that your body's under a lot of stress, your cortisol's up, your you know, your maintenance calories is actually a lot lower than what it should be, your needs lower. Um, so I would say have a, if it's in a deficit, maybe have a diet break, go back up to maintenance for a couple of weeks and, and start the process again. It's not gonna put you, going back to maintenance is gonna put you at the same body weight it would have if you, before the cut. Um, and I think maybe that prevents a lot of people from increasing their calories. I would think, oh, before my cut, I was 100 kilos, I was having 3,000 calories. If I go up to 3,000 calories, I'm going to be back at 100 kilos. And it's like those two numbers aren't closely as related as you might think they are. Um, and if it's not working, it's all right. Things, it's not like fat loss is supposed to be a linear progress anyway. Um, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more that goes into the equation than just, oh, I'm in a deficit and it's not working. I must be broken. It's like, take a step back maybe it's your sleep maybe it's you know your cortisol maybe it's it could be anything so i think getting a bit of a bit of bigger picture about it but yeah i would definitely suggest either um doing a little bit of a diet break or alternatively um pedal to the middle and just doing a little bit more of an aggressive approach just acutely to maybe get that swoosh off in weight that me and you sometimes talk about um and then going back to whatever it was you were when you had the plateau yeah man i agree 100 percent and I think that's that's definitely a good correlation, like we, what you mentioned there, where it's almost like identify if you're actually in a plateau. Yeah. Sometimes, like you know, you might hold like scale weight for a week, but you're not actually looking over your photos. And if this is something that happens a lot with clients, where we might um, see the scale weight hold for like three weeks at a time, but the visuals absolutely change over the course the body of the week, and the waist, um, you know goes down so are you actually in a plateau and then if you've been pushing it balls to the wall with a deficit like anthony said like going to a maintenance it doesn't mean you're going into a fat gain phase you're literally going into a maintenance phase so you can just hold have a bit of a breather drop off some stress chill out a bit maybe put in a training deload on that week as well so it's a you know win-win from a fatigue management standpoint by the end of the week, you'll be fine, you'll be excited, and you'll likely see things turn down very nicely. Or, like Anthony said, digging in even harder and making sure that, of course, you're keeping on top of everything. Because something that, that might be a plateau is like, are you actually accounting for everything that you're consuming? Like, are you tracking yeah, oil? that's a big one as well. Tracking your sources? Are you just eyeballing things? Ah, that's about 100 grams. Ah, oh, I won't track that. It's just a couple of little things. Oh, are you like going out for meals out multiple times a week not to say there's anything wrong with meals out but as, you know the chef he doesn't give a fuck about your macros your diet yeah <laughs> he just wants it to make taste yum you give five star review so he's going to sneak some things in there that you can't see so having full control keeping it simple maintenance if need be or just keep ripping in
And I think another one that I'll just touch base on in a deficit, Mason said this on your last podcast um, when he juxtaposed his deficit when he was a little bit younger and he's cut to his cut now. And he said he just doesn't worry about it. He's like, he doesn't tie too much emotion to the deficit, to the cut. And he looks a lot better. He's kind of like, I just eat my meals, go train, do my walk. Um, you know, he has the same meals and whatnot. But um, yeah, I think tying too much emotion to the process, if, like you should enjoy the process, don't get me wrong. Um, but the minute you start to weave your identity into it and then you start taking, um, I don't know, the plateaus or the losses or or the non-wins as a personal thing, um, I think that can definitely influence um, the plateau in itself as well. So just kind of like, it, it's just food, eat it. You'll be in a deficit. You don't have to think about it 24 seven. doesn't have to give you, you don't have to be paralyzed by the whole process and, and it give you OCD of tracking every little minor thing and then be like, oh, 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 just, you know, people aren't silly. Just don't eat what you're not supposed to eat. Eat what you're supposed to eat. And then like trust in yourself that it'll kind of work itself out. You know, I think, um, I think overstressing about it is, a, is another massive reason why maybe deficits don't work. And I think if I was going to give a personal example for that, if I, when I was in prep in the last couple of weeks and I was overstressing about the actual diet in itself, I looked so much worse than I did after the show. Like after the show, I had all the stress washed off my body. Um, like I, I put on some weight pretty quickly in the first couple of days. But after that, like it was like two weeks post-show, I looked just as good as I did four weeks out of the show, you know, what, if not better. And I think that's has nothing to do with the foods I was eating because it was the exact same. Um, it was literally just, I wasn't paralyzing myself with the process. So I think that's another big one as well. And credits to Mace for saying that because that, that was a big one, big takeaway from the last podcast for sure. Spot on. Shout out, Mace. <laughs> Shout out, Mace. <laughs> so plateaus with muscle building, what would your thoughts be there? Um... Well, it depends where it's from. Is it an appetite problem? Is it a training problem? Um, if it's an appetite problem, I would say you can use, I think people are scared to do cardio in the off season because it'll ruin their gains. But if you can- That's when I would recommend it. Is that, hey? It's like the only time I recommend yeah. cardio. Unless it's yeah. in a prep. Um, cardio in the off season or when you're in a gaining phase, highly advantageous. Amen to that, for sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't leverage cardio to create a deeper deficit. I think deficits should be created with food unless, of course, you're in a prep or there's a time, there's a timeline, to a deadline to it, sorry. But yeah, if you can utilize cardio to increase your appetite and get more food, you're going to get a lot more, you, you're going to consume a lot more calories from the appetite increase than the, than the calories burnt from doing the cardio. You know what I mean? It's not a double negative in that way. Yeah. And then with training, if let's say like you're hitting like uh, you know you're trying to build muscle, what do you think holds people back most with the training side of things when they're trying to build muscle? Maybe scared of failure at the end of the set, potentially, potentially, or not knowing where it is. Yeah, that's that's very. I think a lot of people know where. Like if you ask someone what's your ten rep max on an exercise, and they'll give it to you, and then they'll to perform the exercise, and you, metaphorically of course. But if you had a gun to their head and you said you got to do more, otherwise I'm going to kill you. That their 10 rep max what they thought it was to to be... sometimes the gym didn't like me having a gun in the gym <laughs> great results. that's some fight club shit right there <laughs> but definitely uh, i that's something that huge in-person personal training show me and and a lot of the times when a client does send over their technique videos a lot of the times my suggestion is like look like maybe just tweak this setup here and you probably had a couple more reps in the tank and I yeah. feel like an asshole when I say it because it's almost like me coming across potentially like I'm saying like you, you can train harder than that. 
but I know that it is such a limiting factor when you know that study that's been done where they had all these trained individuals and they were asked like what's your 10 rep max on bench press and then they had like in the lab the um, the scientists or whatever um, basically push them to true failure and the majority got like more than five reps over their 10 what they thought it would yeah. be so yeah. they even got like 21 to 23 reps so it's like far out so like if you're 13 reps in reserve you ain't gonna build muscle so um, I think that's a great point where if we look at the research the research will say like within three reps of true muscular failure that's where the greatest hypertrophy stimulus is and it's not within three reps of when it gets hard yeah that's so another big one as well some movement patterns it's like the first rep you're like fuck this hurts squats barber back squats man yeah barbell back squats first rep is, is always always the worst and you're just like how but this is something that um maybe like when you're training this week give this a crack i was doing this on the pin loaded leg press and every time i did a rep i was like far out i'm done it was like i would ask myself do i have one more and i find i do yep. that with a lot of my sessions like so then i'm not thinking oh no i've got so many more reps to do it's like do i have one more go and then you get it the only downside to that i'd say is losing count of the rep count that's the only thing i'd say because then you go you go one you go one and then you're up to like can i do one more sure and then before you know it, you've got two conversations you're like counting a number but you're also trying to talk to yourself and then like you're like shit is that eight or seven reps and then you lose count you're like shit i have to go to failure now anyway so it's not a waste of a set yeah. that's a big reason why i like to record my sets too I was for that. when i was coaching in person bro like the client would look at me and be like um all right how many reps was that like, don't ask me. I'm not here to count your reps. I'm here to look at you. I thought your math teacher, mate. <laughs> and I wouldn't even be able to know anyways. Um, I think another I think another one, I'll just chuck a, a tip in there for people because we say three reps to failure and then we also say people don't know where their failure is. Maybe something people can take home. If you are recording your sets or if you want to know where your failure is, um, a good thing to look out for is, is it's called a decrease in concentric velocity. And basically all that means is on the way up, so the effort phase of a movement, if that starts to get slower and slower and slower, um, assuming the effort throughout the reps are, are the same, uh, that's a very good indicator of when you might be reaching failure. And another good one is if that's if that's past five seconds, you should you should probably give it a rest there. Past five seconds is 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 probably your max. That's when you're probably asking for an injury as well. If the final rep ain't slowing, you ain't growing. <laughs> very true. Probably Another big one with the muscle building, time. Under tension? If I could go back in time, I know there was a question we okay. asked last time we were here, but I could go back in time and give myself a piece of advice. Be like, Rick, give yourself more time to grow. Spend more time in a surplus. Because oftentimes, like if we try like gain for like eight weeks, you could do everything perfect. But you're only giving yourself eight weeks to build muscle. Yep. Like yep. it's, it's something that just happens so easily. So time spent in a growth phase, not being too attached to your body composition where if you gain a little bit of body fat, it's okay. Like you get to feel bigger in t-shirts. Um, you get to enjoy more social events. You've got more energy, you know, push it out. And I think yeah, like that's probably sure. a huge limiting factor is not giving ourselves enough time to grow. As we know, getting into your off season now, we're gonna be here for the next five years. You're gonna be- Oh, at to least. <laughs> If I'm not walking around 130 kilos, then these off-season would be all right, all right? <laughs> um, my question next? 
right. This is a good one here. I reckon have to see what you reckon about this. How do I disconnect the emotional attachment I have with food? In brackets, stress eating, binge eating. Ooh, this is a tough one. This, this is, is a very tough one. So, of course, like this is out of my scope of practice. So, this is just like advice. Um, but if you need to seek help with this, uh, Amelia Thompson, PhD on Instagram, she's very, very good. Because um, usually, and this is something that I've mentioned in podcasts too that I've struggled with in past, and usually it's a deeper issue and you're looking for something for comfort. So you may be super stressed with work, you're feeling like you're you know, overwhelmed with life and then you just turn to food for comfort and it feels good. Like I will admit that, like when I've been in the binge states, it's like you go on a rampage and it's, you know, you've got dopamine rush all over the place and then you, you know, look in the mirror afterwards and you're like, oh, what have I done? What have I become? And then, it can become a bit of a repeat cycle. So I think when you're in that moment where you feel like a binge coming on, slowing down, focusing on your breath, and maybe just asking like what you're aiming to fix with food. Can that be fixed with something else? Could you go for a walk? Could you just go get a massage? Could you just journal, read a good book? Speaking I love how you say, it. can you just, I love how you say, just go get a massage as if everyone's in Thailand and massages are like $10, bro. No one in Melbourne just gets massages. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a tough one because it's not like uh, other things like food addiction, I'm not saying you've got food addiction, but just food addiction in general. It's like, imagine being like a, addicted to a certain drug, but you've got to use it four times a day five times a day so it can be tough um, but I think mindfulness stress management is probably the biggest thing and then if you are in a deficit that's probably playing a huge role too so maybe like at the start Anthony's suggestions with the maintenance phase maybe giving yourself like six to eight weeks just at maintenance you know eat well relax chill out maybe pull down your training volume and it's something that I have worked through with with myself like mentioned and, and multiple clients as well and I think it's just a lot of like self-care plays a big role and yeah. not beating yourself up so much when it does happen and then when it does maybe just identifying what was the cause and then realizing that you know it's if you're in a deficit sometimes that can be part of it having all those high food drives because you're in a deficit so I like that that's good answers that's good answers um I would say I'm not too sure how you can disconnect the emotional part um, around it altogether, but I would say some tips that you could probably implement to help mitigate it would be, like you said, if it's an un probably a deeper underlying issue, um, that would be one, understanding your triggers and what they are. If it's like, you know, uh, you had a fight with someone and then you're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna eat. It's like, is that beneficial? And it's probably ignorant for like me to say, cause I don't, I don't suffer from this at all, but um, yeah, trying to tiptoe around this as caution as possible. But I would say that the second one, I would say maybe don't have things as easily accessible in your reach. 
maybe if you're, you know, you live at home with your family and your family's big on a certain food and that's your go-to food that you binge on or you stress eat on, um, like limiting that or maybe not having it in the house is a big thing. So maybe there's more of an effort to actually go and get these certain things that you'll stress eat for. Um, and I'll say maybe the last one is if you find yourself binge eating certain foods, like a certain food category, like chocolate or lollies or chips, maybe incorporate that in a little bit smaller doses throughout the week or throughout, you know, not maybe daily, but maybe throughout the week. So it can, it can push you over the edge. Okay. I'll give you an example. So I'm probably not explaining it right. If you say like you've gone two weeks without chocolate um, and then you, you stress eat and then you have like five blocks of chocolate, it's like situation A, situation B, you break yourself four squares every second day. You might not have that. Oh, I'm just craving this because I haven't had it for so long. Um, so yeah, I would say maybe those can be uh, some tips I'd give for people who are, who struggle with stress eating or binge eating or the emotional attachment towards eating for sure. That's great advice, hundred percent. Like um, in Atomic Habits, like cue craving response reward. So removing if something's like not serving you, potentially removing it from your environment, or mm. the complete reverse. And if it's something that you view as a quote-unquote bad food, which is very common with this sort of mindset, um, remembering that you know all food serves its purpose and it's okay to factor those foods in, even if you have fat loss goals, it might make things a bit more hard. Um, but if you find that any time you have it, it just triggers a binge, then potentially just removing it will be a good move. Yeah, that's a big one as well. That's a big, if, you, if you can have four squares without having the block, do it. If you can't, you know, don't do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, you want to go next one? All right. So dealing with injuries, setbacks. Injuries and setbacks or a setback from an injury? The question was more so a bit, it was a bit of a lengthy one, but it was more so just in regards to dealing with injuries, you know, how to overcome setbacks. And it was the, um, same guy asked about the plateaus. So sort of just all encompassing question here. You want to answer or you want me to go first? You can go. All right. I would say at, at the risk of maybe sounding callous, control what you can control if you are already injured, stressing about it and throwing away the baby with the bathwater and stopping training altogether is going to put you a lot further back than if you were to just train everything around your injury. Um, like I know someone at my gym, um, actually Liam Rocker, he done his he done his knee and he's still in there doing upper body, back, he's doing unilateral leg exercises. It means he's just a champion, you know? And then you have other people who might have, you know, a sore shoulder or sore elbow and they're like, oh, I'm gonna take a couple of weeks off the gym. And then before you know it, you accustomed to that lifestyle of not going and then getting back into it is a lot harder. And you're like, oh, I don't know how I was so determined back then. It's like, if you, if you do a hard break, um, then finding the momentum is a lot harder than if you were to just, you know, maybe slow down a little bit. So um, I would say, if it's not in your control, it's not in your control, focus on recovering. If you can do as many things as you can to try to get back on the horses as effective, most effectively as possible, whether you've got to um, do rehab or therapy or whatever it, whatever it is in that aspect. And then, um, yeah, working around it, 100% is what I'd say. I agree 100%. Bringing that stoic philosophy <laughs> to all things life, I find is very beneficial. Um, Especially like, yeah, if it's an injury, man, like it's, it's kind of like, well, fuck, like there's not much you can do, you're injured. But like Anthony said, 
keeping that momentum going. It's much easier to keep things moving than it is to, you know, just completely stop and just ride for like, oh, I've got so short, I'm not going to the gym at all. Um, and then oftentimes, like the feedback is, you know, you still got to train, you still got to keep the, the movement, you got to strengthen up the area. And if that's not the case, like Anthony said, with Liam Rocker, how he's got like one leg that he can't train, but he's doing the other side. And this is actually shown in the research where if you've got an injured side to the point yes. where you can't train it, and this you're training best. with the other side, there's this uh, sort of making up where the other side actually grows. I know mm-hmm. uh, Dean McKillop's partner, Liz, Lizzie, she, um, she did a similar thing. I think she oh, might have been a shoulder, but yeah, she just did like one side and then the other side grew. So yep. Which is really weird. Around. It goes against everything we know about hypertrophy and muscle damage and actually growing, but like it's there. It's literally in, in the clinical research. It's like, what? How does that even happen? I think it's got to do with like, um, like the nervous system being stimulated, and then, and then you know whatever it is. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. Too, I'm not too. I'm not too familiar with the science behind it. I'm not going to deep dive into it. And make my sound 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 like a fool. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> okay, that's okay. Hopefully, it doesn't get to the point we need to worry about that as well. <laughs> Hopefully not. So, Hopefully that helps. So that's um, that would be my approach. Like, you know, controlling what you can control. Keep moving as much as you can. It's okay. Life is set. Like, there's always going to be setbacks in life. Like, what area of your life is there ever not going to be a setback? You know, like with your work. It's life, almost. It's, yeah, like, you know, you just cruisy times all the time. So your your gym is no different. What's that saying? Hard times create. That one, you know what I'm saying? Hard times create strong men, strong men create easy times, easy times make whatever it is. But yeah, that. <laughs> uh, so many of them, it's like smooth seas never created a skilled sailor, you know. I, yeah, or like diamonds, diamonds were made under pressure or um, basically you should be grateful for all the rain and the sunshine. And the rain is probably going to forge your character a lot more than the sunshine is. And in the moment, you're probably going to be like, oh, this is atrocious, but in hindsight, when you look back and you think, where was the majority of my growth? I guarantee you it was after something like that. It was, it was in your low, you know, Jordan Peterson always says, if you fall in a pit, you have to physically be strong enough to pull yourself out of it. And you're stronger than you were, than you went into the pit. Otherwise you wouldn't have gotten out of the pit in the first place. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a good one. I reckon I got a good question here for you. Yeah, let's go. What should I be taking into consideration when looking to compete? Ooh. Okay, so without like heaps of context to run off, why? Yep. Do you so, do you actually enjoy competing or are you doing it because you see a couple of people doing it on Instagram? It's like, oh yeah, that'll be cool. Do you understand that there was there's going to be a lot of sacrifices that come with getting into that kind of condition? Have you got guidance from a coach? I'll stop, that- I'll stop you there for a second. When you say, do you know there's going to be a lot of sacrifices? And what if they say, no, I don't know there's going to be a lot of sacrifices. What would they be? Like, what what would you say? You have, you have to be comfortable sacrificing ABC. What would the ABC be for you if you were explaining that to a client so they get a bit better of an understanding about the process? So you would have to sacrifice potentially a lot of events where you might want to consume particular foods, but 
if you really want to bring your best to stage, it might not come down to that. Um, you have to potentially sacrifice events in regards to you need to get a good night's sleep because you know that, let's say you're in the depths of prep, you get a poor night's sleep, you're going to be much more hungry the next day, you're going to have lower energy, you're already you know, running full steam ahead with very you know, high deficit nutrition, um, high output, hard training. Um, and just overall, potentially, the isolation that comes with not being able to relate to a lot of people, like being on the extreme end of anything, it's going to be hard to explain to loved ones and, you know, people around you like, oh, yeah, I can't come out and party this weekend because I've got the prep. And they'll be like, oh, but it's in like, you know, 16 weeks. Like, you've got plenty of time. But it's like, like there's 16 weeks, he's around the corner bothering the prep. It, it goes quick, so... I think um, if you really love the sport, if you really love living the lifestyle and you've already got that flow going, I think that's a big one. So if you're going to start a prep, make sure that you actually already got the, the basics nailed in. It's not something that you can just jump into. Like Anthony, you're a prime example. You have been living the lifestyle before the prep even began. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you have yeah. a fantastic base of muscle behind you great basic calories and having a coach to work with over the off season as well so if you're looking to compete i wouldn't just reach out to a coach right before you're about to start prepping i would need to know your body get to to know your body and then they've at least got some data to work with um and that's no shade going against coaches for you and because i haven't stepped up on stage so um, but that's just from like the coach's lens, what I think, you know, will be good. Why are you competing? Do you actually enjoy competing? Are you aware of, you know, what it, it takes? And it's going to be one of the hardest things you ever do. But I'm sure you can reinforce and one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do. Yeah, like I said before, looking in hindsight, definitely in the moment, probably not. I would say everything you said definitely needs to be taken into consideration. And the only other thing as well is it will make or break you as an individual um, and everything that you're linked to. If you're a node in a network, not only your relationships, but like your job, um, people around you, everything. And it's very easy to say, looking into the prep from, you know, before prep starts, oh, I can handle a diet. I can handle, um, you know, doing hours of cardio. I can handle no sleep and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, you're probably right, but you're making those assumptions based on having a full tummy now, having lots of spare time now, like having good relationships now in the present, you know? So I think if you're, if you're when you say you gotta make a lot of sacrifices, if you are happy, now this is gonna probably sound a little bit grim, but if you're happy sacrificing yourself for the process, like literally sacrificing yourself for the process and sacrificing almost everything around you except the goal, if you're happy to sacrifice that and you're willing to accept the consequences of, of of you know potentially ruining everything else if you can take that as a as a potential risk and live with those consequences then i would say that needs to be probably the one of the biggest things i would say you need to be taking into consideration before prep for sure yeah and if that that was was probably a little bit dark prep's probably not that bad for everybody guys (laughs) it's probably not that bad for everyone (laughs) but i think it's it's good to to be on the extreme side because that's not something you want to find out halfway through a prep yeah you want to yeah. like at least expect the worst case scenario before you do start 
so at least you know. Because if you think and, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be yeah, a yeah. breeze, you know, I'm going to be sweet as, and then you get halfway through, and it's like, oh, shit. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the analogy doesn't work anymore because apparently it's been debunked, so whoever debunked it ruined it. <laughs> but it's almost like, you know, the, the frog analogy? With? So, like, you put a frog... But the analogy was if you put a frog oh, in a hot water, cook, yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, water, yeah. Then you boil it, then it'll stay in there. But if you just put it in boiling hot water, it'll jump out. So, but that's actually been proven not to be the case. I don't want to know. But it, but I think it paints a very good mental picture. It paints a very good mental picture. So yeah, expect expect it to be tough. Yeah, and I think I, I think maybe a good counterpoint to what I was saying would be, um, all right, well then just communicate with the people around you and tell them, all right, this is going to be a hard journey. But not only is it you that doesn't know the depths of the journey and how hard it will be, but you can tell someone, hey, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a bit of a bad person on prep. Just understand, don't take it seriously. That doesn't fix the problem at all. Like, yeah, it probably puts you in a better position that they are aware of it, but it still doesn't, it still doesn't fix the problem at all. So as long as, as long as people are aware with that, then, then go for your life, I reckon. Especially if you got a partner, like that's gonna yeah, be for sure. the test big time. Um, for sure. And maybe maybe getting maybe finding not finding a partner, sorry, maybe getting um or explaining exactly what needs to be done. Like if you're leaving the house for three hours and not telling someone that you're gonna be doing cardio and you're just like, Oh, I don't need to communicate that, they know I was on prep. It's like it's a lot of groundwork. Like it's relationships aren't easy in the first place, but a relationship with prep as well, like you're sitting two exams at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Facts, facts. Awesome. So, um, you got another one? You got, you got a great question? Yeah. All right. So, this is from the No Limits number one um, podcast listener, my mum. Jill <laughs> 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 Bounty. Shout out, mum. Hope you're having a great time in Gold Coast at the moment. Um, so, it was actually a decent question, too. And, um, but as always, so best foods to eat pre and post workout. Mum, I coach you. You should know this already. So I assume you're asking for the listeners. But um, so best foods to eat pre and post workout. So what's your current go-to pre and post stance? Pre, I'll do rice flour, protein powder, um, some honey and strawberries. Post, I just do chicken and cocoa pops with almond milk with the cocoa pops and the chicken um, just by itself with some paprika, salt and pepper. Okay. So, but, so that's, that yeah, I was going to say, that's the meal itself. That's, that's the ingredients behind it. Um, I'll do the pre-workout with the protein powder and the rice flour only because for me, with my digestion, um, it, it's quickly digestible. Um, I find that it's not sitting in my stomach for too long. It's not a clumpy meal. Um, I personally wouldn't eat something like pasta or potatoes pre or post workout. Um, I think it's a little heavy. I think by the time it takes to digest, um, there's a lot of time windows that you could, uh, that's probably getting a little bit too specific, but that, I probably wouldn't opt in for those foods. Um, and then the reason I do the chicken and the Cocoa Pops, Cocoa Pops, same deal, um, easily digestible. The cereal is, doesn't stay in your stomach for too long. And the chicken, um, you know, I've got to have a protein source. And I think out of all my meals and the meats, it's either the chicken or fish or prawns or um, protein powder, eggs, but I just opt in for the chicken because everything else I kind of have with something else, you know? So no, no, probably no particular reason why I have the chicken post-workout, but the carb sources are there for a reason and that's just from how easily digestible they are um, for me. And then the strawberries just because who doesn't like strawberries? <laughs> what about yourself? What are you going for? Carbohydrates. 
why are they so important pre and post? Sorry, can you what's the start of that question? So in regards to like you mentioned that you're having like cocoa pops post workout, you're having rice flour pre workout. What's the importance of having carbohydrates in your pre workout and your post workout? So instead oh, of like look. oh like if we just need some protein, let's have a steak post workout, like why do we want to have like a a, a protein source with carbohydrates? Um, the do you want me to give like a all right. The insulin spike that you get from carbohydrates post-show is going to help partition the protein that you're going to have in the post-workout meal a little bit more efficiently than if you were just to have the protein meal by itself. So that's why it's good to pair them up after the workout. Now, the window in which you have it doesn't necessarily matter as long as it's like, you know, an hour or two after the workout, but having them together is definitely going to help. Um, they work in almost like a synergistic effect with each other that instead of you're going to have them one at a time. And then the pre-workout, obviously, um, I would say because it fuels the workout itself. Like, um, I don't know, maybe if someone wants to try it out for themselves, try training fasted at like 11 a.m., track your weight and everything like that. And then the same time you train that same day again, the week after, have a pre-workout, something with a, a, like a high quality pre-workout, like maybe the like easily digestible carbs, have a look at the performance outcome itself and use that reasoning to infer why you would have that meal. Um, I think something that's really heavy on the cardiovascular system, whether it's like fighting or, or running, I can understand why you probably wouldn't want to have a big pre-workout meal. Doing that fasted can be potentially excusable, but something like strength training or resistance training, um, where you have numbers you need to beat, you, you're relying on your strength, you're relying on your endurance, um, you're relying on having easily or readily available energy and fuel in your muscles or in your stomach um, to fuel the actual workout, I think having a pre-workout is going to be a lot more beneficial than not doing it just because of the performance outcomes that it can induce in itself. Fantastic. <laughs> that was a great answer. I feel so, like I an interview as well. <laughs> so that's, that's prime. That's, that's exactly right. I think that's such a good example too because I could... Like we could just sit here and say like, yeah, carbohydrate is your primary fuel source for training and, you know, you deplete your muscle glycogen over your training and then you want to replenish and helps with your recovery. But like you said, fuck all that. Train yeah, fast all the time. Yeah, try Next it. week, yeah. have a protein and carbohydrate source pre-workout and see how you go. Um, so like Anthony suggested there as well, I would say ideally it wants to be a, a carbohydrate source that agrees with you. So it digests well. Um, for me personally, we have very similar pre-workouts. Mine's rice flour, um, dark chocolate, banana, whey protein. And then post-workout, you, you want to take advantage of this time that you're more insulin sensitive. So you're basically partitioning nutrients more towards muscle cell growth recovery. So you don't want to have like super, super high fats in your post-workout meal. At the end of the day, total protein- Why, why not, why not, yeah because fats slow down the rate of digestion. So then it's going to delay that uh, onset of partitioning the carbohydrates and amino acids from the protein into the muscle cell. So you would say pre and post workout would be um, some meals where you might want to favor uh, carbohydrates and not have something heavy as fat. But if you were trying to get your fat content in for the day, try put that in the meals furthest away from the training window. I would say yeah. like you can probably put in a little bit more fats in your pre-workout and this is probably like getting a bit too like fancy with it but me and you love the fancy stuff um, because fats do slow down the rate of digestion like for example if I just had cocoa pops and protein powder and then went to train gonna go hyper in a, like an hour bro. I would be 
confused, sweating, going hypoglycemic, <laughs> and just not in a good way. So having some fats pre-workout is sweet, and then potentially might be some benefit towards having some fruit, fruit like so you get some fructose in at post-workout. Again, like I'll, I'll go over this as well. It's protein and calories is what's most important across the day. Ideally, we want to get multiple protein feedings across the day. This is the fancy stuff, but having some fructose, some so fruit sources post-workout can help top up your liver glycogen. So glycogen is stored carbohydrates, which can help you greater replenish your muscle glycogen, which is stored carbohydrates in the muscle. When they're topped up, you're more anabolic, you're less catabolic, so less muscle breakdown. So that's been super, super fancy. So. I would say easy digestible carbohydrate protein source both on your pre and post and then if you want to have higher fats put it away from your training yeah very good answer i would just i'll play devil's advocate for a second here because this is a question that come into my mind listening to us talk just then um i i see if you can answer this question we say something like let's opt in for easily digestible carbs pre-workout but then we also say something like also opt in for a little bit of fats to slow down the digestion and then you might might be faced with a question from the inquisitive listener to say, so then why don't you opt in for a slower digestive carbohydrate source pre-workout? Would you have a what would you have an answer for that? Yeah you could. Yeah you could. If if you digest it well. So if yeah, you I was gonna eat say, yeah. like wholemeal bread and you're bloated as crap then you know and then you go into train and then you go do like chest supported dumbbell row and then you feel like you're gonna perform it. Like yeah, probably not. Like I sometimes have oats pre-workout which is a bit more solid digesting, a bit higher fiber um, like this is stuff that doesn't necessarily make a massive difference It'd be more so just like your suggestion as well like try things out see how they go um, and so long as it's not a massive massive meal pre-workout that you want to just go to sleep afterwards you should be good to go easy easy i'll see if i can find another one here um <clears throat> this is a good one. What is something that you implemented to your training or lifestyle or nutrition to make your physique change immediately if you did? I reworded that because it didn't really make sense. sense. It was like, it was grammatically incorrect, but it's like, what's something that you implemented in your training or your lifestyle um, and you saw a big change in your physique? Okay. Because when you said immediately, I was like... Yes, sorry. Big change <laughs> I think I think I think it was um it's saying more so short term um the way the question was worded like was there anything that you put in your um training regimented that you're like oh my god this right here this is the holy grail this this thing here is what made my physique transform I'll help you out I'll help you out here I'll help you out here nothing at all will ever change your physique straight away and be beneficial for you full stop that's it it's not it's a long game like we said last podcast it's it's you're in it for the long run there's nothing that you're going to do today that's going to make your physique change tomorrow and be like oh that's it i can kind of like rest now no you got to do your training you got to eat your food you got to do your sleep and that's it over a long enough period of time that's where the results is going to start reaping the, the rewards but besides that unfortunately there is no pill there is no quick fix for these types of things but Anthony, I started doing FST7 training. <laughs> that answer's absolutely spot on. So there's not never going to be one thing. Everything works in synergy. Um, but if I could say like some things that I've incorporated recently in the past couple of years that have helped me, 
and I've enjoyed having them in there. Did they make an absolute night and day difference and now I'm ready to be a bodybuilder on the stage? No. Um, but like implementing things like cuffs for like delt raises, I found yep. that was really good. Um, why do you, why, why, why? Like sell, sell, sell it to a listener, why? Sell it. Uh, sell it. Josh Bridgman hit up one of my... <laughs> Josh Bridgman. Um, so why did I start using cuffs? Because my coach put them in my program and I was thinking, what the fuck is this fancy stuff? Why do I need cuffs? I was very skeptical. Um, but then I found that when I was utilizing them, and this is something that actually happened to me recently, I forgot my cuffs. And let's say um, I did single arm cable side raises with a handle. And let's say I did... 15 kilos and I got 17 reps because I never liked to fall on 15, 12, or 20. So let's say I got 17. And then the next week, I remembered my cuffs, got my cuffs, and then I was able to get like 21 reps. I should not be able to progress that much. So what I find is the cuffs remove the limiting factor of the grip and you're able to get more from your delt movement variations, I find. Um, is it gonna make or break your physique? No, but I've found it has been very useful and something that I've enjoyed incorporating. Um, deloads as well, as we know in past, man. That's not that's a big one. I used to, do. <laughs> I used to just one. run you into the ground. Um, so that's been something that's helped me out a lot. Maintenance phases, another thing. My psychology would not agree with that back in the day. Like maintenance, mm. the hell am I doing that for? I'm either cutting or I'm bulking or shredding or bulking. Um, so having those little, one. little little nuances that can, can come in help, but no, there is no one thing that's going to absolutely transform your physique. I'll just add on the back end of that one. I think something that's be very beneficial and also underrated um, is diet breaks in an off season. Yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're eating an absurd amount of calories and you're struggling with it, um, and you're just putting on excess amount of body fat um, or, your, or your performance is suffering and you just, you know, lifestyle outside the gym is becoming too much of a hassle for you. Having a week where you either half the calories or take 25% of the calories off and then slowly regaining up. So it's kind of like doing what we said before when you hit a plateau in a deficit, greater maintenance and work your way back down, but in reverse, um, come back down and then work your way back up you're going to reap a lot more rewards that way than if you just stayed at that, you know, whatever, five, 6,000 calories for the long run. I think insulin sensitivity is a big one that's overlooked and to help mitigate that, um, you know, without something like a pharmacological intervention, diet breaks are a big, big benefit. Um, and, you know, you're only going to thank yourself later for it. And your body's going to thank you as well. Like, trust me, you don't really want to be eating five, 6,000 calories for 12 months straight, you know? Um, and have, and it's not, it's, it's almost like one step forward for two step backs. Think about it like that. Don't think about it as like, oh my God, I'm going to lose all my size. You're not going to lose muscle. You're still in a surplus. You know, you're just taking a little bit of the, of the calories off. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great one. And, and something that definitely, like mentioned, like with the deficit, go to maintenance, deload at the same time. Perfect. You could do the same thing in the gaining phase. doesn't need to be locked in on one thing or the other. Um, and yeah, that's funny too. Like, it sounds awesome now that like I'm in a mini cut last week, mentioning like 5,600 calories. At the moment, I'm like, oh yeah, I could do that. But like, you know, man. For the week, for the first week, man, it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's different eating 5,000 calories for a couple of days. But if you're doing it for weeks and months on end, that's a whole new ball game.
And if you're doing it with Rick monitoring your MyFitnessPal to make sure everything's clean food and he's on your bum about getting your 500 grams of veggies in a day, it's even harder. <laughs> I got a good one here. How to grow your calves. Well, you can't ask me because I haven't fucking got a <laughs> Yes, you. Too humble Anthony, this how guy. how do we grow your calves? You tell me because I'm still trying to work it out myself. Um, who did I look into? Probably maybe... Uh, 16 months ago, 17 months ago, I started deep diving into Jordan Peterson's work, not Jordan Peterson, um, psychologist, Jordan Peters, as in the bodybuilder. Um, and he says one of the big things that helped him with calves isn't necessarily exercise selection and isn't necessarily rep ranges. It was tempo. So I started to adopt a 4-4-X-2 tempo, which just means four seconds on the way down, four second hold in the stretch position, explode up and a two second hold in the, in the isometric concentric position. Sorry, isometric, yeah, you know, the shortened position. Um, I found that helped a lot. Um, had nothing to do with the exercise selection. It wasn't, I wasn't doing like, you know, one day high reps, one day low reps. It, it was literally just that, um, that I did. And my calves personally responded well to them. Can I say it's going to work for everyone? Not sure. Is it worth giving it a shot? Fucking oath, especially if you've got little calves and you want to make them bigger. I would say that's a big game changer. And what does it really do at the end of the day? It just increases the time under the tension of the set, but it also puts a lot of the, um, a lot of that time under tension is in either the lengthening or the lengthened position. And that's where the majority of your muscle damage is going to occur. That's also where you're strongest. Um, so holding it there, I really do think it's going to elicit a lot of, of benefits for the, for the gastrocnemiasis. There we go. So that is exactly what I would suggest 100%. Um, and then one really cool thing, have you heard about Eric's, Eric Helms? He's currently doing a study on calves. Nah, what is Eric it? Eric Helms is currently doing a study, just loaded stretches. So yep. literally just loading loading stretches in the, um, the stretch position. So the calves seem to be very, very responsive to uh, especially uh, deep, deep stretches. If you look at anyone yep. doing calf raises, how do they usually go about? They're just oh, up and down. And you've also got your Achilles tendon right there, which is the strongest tendon in your body. So you think that ain't going to just take over. So then you're really just working out your Achilles and not your calves. So like Anthony said, best thing to do, very controlled, deep stretch, pause at the bottom. It's going to suck. You're going to want to jump out of that stretch position as soon as possible, but hold there for a couple of seconds and then drive up. There could be some validity to just doing like a, a, a seated variation and a, a straight leg variation. So that way you've got like a bent leg and a straight leg. So that way you're hitting all parts of the calves together. Um, and then treating them like any other muscle group. I think a lot of people would like, you know, if they suck really bad and you, you're not happy about it, put them at the start of your leg day workout, not at the end. When you're yep, training that's a big one as well. And then maybe just sprinkle them in with a bit more volume because they can handle a lot of volume. So if you're just doing, say, three sets at the end of your leg day, it's like, no wonder they're not growing. Yeah, it's, it's three total sets per week, and that over the, that's only, you know, 12 sets a month. That's not, that's not enough to elicit. It's maybe enough to elicit some maintenance and some, some uh, you know, to not decrease or, or into, um, what is it, like an atrophy of the muscle potentially, but it's definitely not enough to, to elicit any hypertrophy, I don't think, three sets a week, unless you're during the eights. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's exact, it, he wouldn't be asking, or I assume he wouldn't be asking the question if they were a dominant body part. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, for sure. Enough. Spot on. All right.
right. Um, how to reverse diet. I'm not a fan of it. You can answer this one. <laughs> I, I don't really like reverse diet. Oh, look, I understand its validity and I understand that it's a good thing that people want to do and it can definitely help in a lot of situations for sure. I think if you're reverse dieting though, it's because you've been at the end of a very restrictive or very productive cut. Um, and yeah, you can reverse diet and, and put on the weight slowly and all that type of fun jazz. Um, but just go back to maintenance straight away. Like that's what I would say. I don't think there's I don't think there's too much of a disadvantage you'd get from going back to maintenance and if you were to reverse diet. Um, I think that being super, super strict on a on your calories when you're in a deficit, like that's when you should be really strict. Maybe you should be strict in off season as well, but you're stricter in the in the um, deficit. And I think um, reverse dieting I don't know. Just just go back to maintenance in my opinion. That's what I would say. Um, what about you? So firstly, I would say- maybe, like, we butt, maybe we butt heads on this topic. Huh? I, feel, I can see your face. You're like, this guy, fuck, I hired this guy and he doesn't like reverse dieting. That's it. <laughs> so reverse dieting is basically like you finished up a fat loss phase and then you very, very slowly and cautiously creep your calories back up and you keep in a deficit, but you just reduce the deficit slowly over time. And I think it is a terrible idea. Uh -huh. I, I, bro, I thought you were going to disagree with me then for a second. <laughs> so you're in a deficit. You finished your deficit. Your diet fatigue's at its highest. Your yeah. hunger and food focus is at its highest. And then you're just going to slowly walk yourself out of it. And that's just going to exacerbate and extend the time in a diet-related state, food-focused state, low energy, low sex drive, poor sleep, all that stuff. So reverse dieting, is just dragging out your deficit. You finish your deficit, go to maintenance. Even if that means spending, and maintenance doesn't mean like before, like fat gains phase. Like maintenance can literally be like, you go to maintenance, you might see like your scale weight push up a bit initially, a bit of like fluid, glycogen, all that stuff. And then it will even out, and you can hold there. And then like you, you sort of notice like, um, like post-show or like any diet, when you've come out, come out of maintenance, you get to like, you know, one week in maintenance, you're like, oh, like, oh, I feel way better now. But then yep. you get to like three yep. weeks later, you're like, oh, Jesus, I wasn't recovered then. Now I'm so much more recovered. Six weeks, oh, I can fire. All right, now I'm recovered. Move your door I have, I think, you just drag yeah, that shit down unnecessarily. I think a, a, a time where reverse dieting might be um, valid to implement would potentially be you just had a show, you got a photo shoot, you booked a photo shoot two weeks post-show, um, you know, you don't want to blow out, you might have a day or a meal at the end of the show or the day after where you go a little bit crazy or whatnot. Um, and then I think that would hold some merit in reverse dieting back up to, to the photo shoot. Um, to the photo shoot day. But I think unless you've got something like that where you're at the end of your cut for a reason and then you've got something else that you need to prepare for um, and you've got a deadline like that, if it's if it's nothing to do with the deadline or an external, what, what's it called, extrinsic motivation, if it's nothing to do with that, then I don't think um, the, the benefits of, of a reverse diet outweigh the cons at all. Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, we'll go, we'll go one more. <sighs> All right, we'll go. You know what? We'll go one more deep one, and then we'll do some fire off ones because there's some there was there were some good ones that we haven't touched base on oh, yet. But we'll be quick. We'll be quick. We'll be quick. Um, this is a good one. What do you think? Th three things every human should try to experience before their life is over. 
Or do you know what? Let's change it a little bit. What do you think everyone, three things everyone needs to experience, not try to experience because that kind of implies that you have autonomy over the experience itself and whether or not it happens. But what are three things you think uh, everyone, not needs to experience, but should experience or, or maybe the most character developing experiences? What do you think of three things? A, a tough setback is what sprung to mind. Yep. Because um, that, like, that just changes you. It just humbles you. It gives you perspective on life. And you can go about things with that much clearer idea that you can get through hard things so that you don't sweat the small stuff. Um, personal, I think moving out of your hometown, or spending an extended period of time outside of your hometown is very good for character development. Um, you can like reshape your identity in a way, but I think just having new experiences in new cultures is a good move. Um, and I would say going all in on your goals whether that be from like a fitness perspective or like a work life perspective I could definitely say like opening my own coaching business has been one of the best things I've ever done in my life so backing yourself and going all in on something that you want to achieve and that's another thing because you prove you can do hard things so what would your three be? Um, I would say learning how to fight is one of them. And if not learning how to fight, then at least being humbled in a sparring match. I know that was a big thing for me. Um, if you don't know how to fight or you do know how to fight, go and get the shit kicked out of you. As weird as that sounds, and I'm not saying that to be rude in any way, but I think it's very humbling and it might make you realize, might make you realize I am not, as capable as what I thought I was. Uh, I think that's a big one. Learning you're not made of glass. Exactly, exactly. And I think, yeah, exactly. You're not made of glass. You, you will, you realize you might, you might surprise yourself how much you can endure, A, but you might also surprise yourself about how um, when push comes to shove, you could shrivel up. I think that's a big one as well. Um, and I'm not saying if there's any female listeners here, um, please don't do that. That wasn't really targeted at you. Um, please don't get your head kicked in. <laughs> but for guys, for sure, 100%. And I think a, a lot of people's confidence um, who do know how to fight come from the fact that they might know how to fight. And I think if you asked any of them, like this was on the Joe Rogan experience, he, they said, someone asked him, if I took away all of your MMA experience and all of your grappling experience, how would you be? He's like, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Not because I'd say things differently, but I wouldn't be as confident within myself, within my own skin. Um, I think that's a big thing. So I would say that's one. Two, I would say definitely a setback, whether it's financial setback, whether it's, um, I don't know if you want to call food a related setback, but um, when you're really hungry and there's nothing, there's like nothing around, I think you, you really understand yourself a little bit more in those types of situations, definitely. Um, or whether it's like a, a relationship setback or, or grief, loss, your own health, something like that, like we were saying at the start of the podcast, in hindsight, when looking back on it, those types of things are experiences, like you said, are going to forge your character. So I think, um, yeah, I would say they're my three for sure. I agree 100%. It's spot on. And that's another um, reinforcement that like hard things are, are, are the good things. And definitely MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, whatever, it just has a new level of confidence it gives you, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. It's just and, and you'll re you realize if you know how to fight, you probably won't have to. Massive. Like when I started Wing Chun, 
I thought this is sick. Like I was going through my chaotic young thug boy day, and I was like, sweet, like I'm gonna be able to beat up everyone, and it'll be it'll be so good. The first thing I learned was not to beat up anyone. And there might have yeah. been a situation where I was at parties and that, and like fights would occur, and I wouldn't get involved because I just knew like don't need to. once you Why? it's not part of martial arts. Like you, when you learn martial arts, you don't use it just for the sake of using it. And you realize it's it's silly to just get involved with that stuff because you never know someone might pull a bottle or whatever and yeah no you're very right yeah. tips on fixing sleep ricky we'll do we'll, we'll do we'll do some we'll do some rapid fire ones quick tips to 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 fix sleep give me Stop give me a few you got screens before you go to bed wake yep. up at the same time go to sleep at the same time even on the weekends probably maybe a one hour buffer um on wake up or, or sleep cutting time or caffeine, both? Cutting off caffeine um, before 2 p.m. Yep. Can supplement with some magnesium or melatonin, indoor melatonin pre-bed if you'd like. Um, purchase blue light blockers if you want to look at your phone. Yeah. I would say they're all pretty good. Um, Listen to the No Limits podcast on sleep. <laughs> Moon landing, real or fake, Rick? I'm a conspiracy theorist, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, hat and everything. And I, I couldn't give a fuck. Like, what difference does it make? But um, let's just go with nah. It was made up. Just so my rev people up. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever cried during a movie? Marley and me. And click. yeah, that's a good one. Click. Click. When um, is it click? When Adam. It, Sandler, Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the remote. Click and Marley and me. They're the, yeah. the two ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, this is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest cause I have nothing to hide and I don't really give a fuck, but, um, Batman Dark Knight Rises, just hear me out, hear me out, all right, <laughs> towards the end, uh, the director, Christopher Nolan had me believe that Batman pretty much killed himself to save the city. He had this like bomb attached to his like, um, to his like flighter jet and he flew it over the ocean and it was gonna go off and it went off and everyone thought he had died. And I was sitting there like, bro, what the fuck? Like Batman just died. And like, I felt myself tearing up, like I really did. But then um, it, it turned out he used the ejector button and he was out of there. And from that moment, moment forward, I was just like, I can't believe I was tricked. And I made, I was like, I haven't cried in a movie since then. So. <laughs> Pick up lines. Do you have any that really work? You're asking the wrong person here. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm. Um, yeah, not for me either. Don't do pick up lines. You know what? Just focus on no, yourself, boys. Just be yourself. <laughs> just focus, yeah, be yourself. Be yourself. Um, humor goes a long way. That's going to be probably much. So like a girl's yeah. gonna be like, yeah, like when we met, he dropped this pickup line, and then like he'll just yeah, that, that's what. We're <laughs> I think I think my only tip about that one is um, humor might get you a long way. Maybe, unless, yeah, just be yeah, unless you're not funny. Um, yeah, I think that's it, man. On my end, um, I had, what do you think the meaning of life is? But that's probably not a, a rapid fire question. Um, that's a whole podcast in yeah, that's a whole podcast. Oh, any shows you watch? What was your favorite show as a kid? Last one on my end. There you go. Uh, so as a kid, I used to make my mum drive probably about an hour, an hour and a half away to get me these specific toys that were from this show. 
hands. I might be what showing my age here a little bit. I hope you. Hope you <laughs> what was the show, Rich? <laughs> what is that? The land before time. The land before time. I, I don't think I. Let me just quickly do. This shows the my age. So the land before time. If you don't know, it's basically dinosaurs. Oh like, yeah, the dinosaurs. Ah, yeah, oh, so you're a cutie. <laughs> Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. I wasn't a Dragon Ball Z kid. Um, yeah. And like WWE, and then I would just like practice on my brother and just beat the fuck out of him. Figure four. Arcade went nowhere. Um, I would say I would say mine, Ben Ten and Yu-Gi-Oh. But Yu-Gi-Oh first. I'm still a massive. Massive Yu-Gi-Oh fan. I think every time I get the little ads on Instagram saying there's new like anniversary deck coming out, like I, I fucking buy it. I'm not gonna lie. Still to this day, bro, I buy them. <laughs> Don't watch the show anymore, but that and um and Ben Ten. Like I remember I had the watch on me tricks as a kid, and I would like wear it around thinking I could like transform myself into forearms whenever I wanted to. So I would say those two definitely my two favorite shows. As a kid, not anymore. <laughs> what a way to finish a podcast. What a way to finish the podcast. <laughs> uh, I actually like that, the quick fire. So maybe like next time we'll do the questions in if you listen how you like that. We'll yeah, we'll do yeah, we'll do fire. interesting ones first and then at the end just some funny humor ones, rapid fire, why not? Get them get them over and done with. Because bro, if no one stopped us and we didn't have the the <laughs> we didn't have any consideration for the listeners' time and how much they're spending with us, we would talk for fucking Yongs, bro. We would have a live we'd have a live podcast twenty four seven. Um, but yeah, like that's the final one. Useful and our, uh, our rambles have provided some value, some entertainment. <laughs> Fingers crossed, that was good ones. Realizing that Batman can sometimes be a very sad movie. Yep, mate, don't use that one against me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, my man. And appreciate having you on. Thanks, mate. Always enjoy the podcast, and I'll speak to you soon, mate. See you guys. Bye. Gold. That was good.